Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Rachel, recorded in June 2022, founder of the Women in Hospitality Leadership Alliance to bring different organizations together to amplify the female voice. Prior to that, she began her professional career as a lawyer and later as an association executive. All right, we start recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. And today I have with me, with me, Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Noreen. I'm really um, delighted that you've asked me to share some time with you today. Wonderful. Uh, so Rachel, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, I, I have a long and kind of a storied history. I was born in New Hampshire. My, I'm the daughter of a college professor and a travel agent. They took education very seriously. Um, you know, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet, pre-cable TV, social media, all of those things. And they both just knew the value of an education at one point. I wanted to be a long haul truck driver or a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I don't know why on either one of those, but at some point um, I decided that I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know any. I probably saw something on TV that seemed interesting. And so from that point on, that's really where I focused my um, efforts. And I've had two really exceptional careers, one as a trial lawyer and one as an association executive. I've recently retired. So I'm enjoying a completely new chapter. And it, I can't talk about myself without saying that I am a mom of two amazing daughters and I'm a wife and I'm a daughter and a sister and a friend and a lot of other things that, that make up me. So that's a little bit about me. Amazing. No, and it's so true. You know, all of that it makes you who you are, right? It's, it's all the relationships that you have with different people and how it makes you, yeah, one whole person. Absolutely. But the, the long haul driver and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader <laughs> is definitely an interesting choice. I think when I first started uh, thinking about what I wanted to be, it was, well, I think I, I think back then we called them stewardess or, or flight mm -hmm. attendants. Yeah. <laughs> now, and it was because we were traveling so much when I was growing up, we, we, we were always on a plane and we were going somewhere constantly. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's because that was the only profession that I could really see in front of me my mom was a stay-at-home mom my dad would go into the office so I'd see him go and then he'd come back at night but I had no idea what he was doing in I think mine is actually similar we drove everywhere we didn't have a lot of money and there were three kids and two parents and so we got in a station wagon and you'd go out on the road and we'd go camping and you'd see the truck drivers and you'd kind of ask them to toot their horn yeah. and I think that's how you I thought you would see the country I, we yeah. never flew anywhere and I don't know, there was something very glamorous about being on the road and, and having an opportunity to travel even back then that I was intrigued by. So you did become a lawyer, but you did spend a lot of time within hospitality. Was that because you didn't necessarily choose to be in hospitality, but you chose to be a lawyer, but you had a career in like hospitality related. Work, I did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was an actually a really interesting path for me. When I um, 
I became a trial lawyer. At first, I was doing criminal defense, and I had an incredible practice. When we relocated, I started doing civil work, and I started representing a lot of entrepreneurs. And so through that practice, I got heavily engaged with franchise law, and most of the hotels in the United States, most of the businesses actually in the United States are franchised businesses. And so I started representing a lot of business owners on negotiating franchise agreements, impact studies, terminations, management agreements, things like that. And in the United States, there are not a lot of lawyers who represent only franchisees. And so with that specialty, I began speaking at a lot of conferences and getting along um, with other lawyers who kind of practiced in that area. And at some point, a majority of my practice became representing hotel owners and others in the hospitality space, restaurants, nightclubs, things like that. And so my first foray into hospitality was really on the legal side of things. And then in 2014, I decided to switch gears and I got involved as a hospitality industry executive in the association space where I spent the next seven years. So two sides of hospitality, um, very, very different. Very different indeed. And yeah, I, I, it's so interesting, like in different parts of the world, you have so many different ownership structures, right? And then you have to have different, yeah, legal support to understand the differences and nuances and make sure that, you know, both parties are protected and, you know, making sure that everyone's working in each other's best interests. And sometimes we forget that there's just this whole ecosystem, a support ecosystem around the hospitality industry that just because not, you're not necessarily from the industry, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need this additional support that comes into it. So with, I guess, your you know, lawyer hat on, what were, what were some of the conversations like? Um, and how did you, I guess, educate <laughs> the hospitality owners uh, as well? Well, you know, franchise agreements tend to be very long-term. They can be anywhere from 10 to 20 years for the majority. There are some that are shorter and it's a binding commitment for a long time. It's a lot of money, a lot of expense, a lot of obligations to be a franchisee. So really making sure you were negotiating the best business terms on the way into that relationship that you knew eyes wide open, what you were um, signing up for, for that long period of time, you know, those contracts are enforceable agreements. Um, if disputes arose during any point of the relationship, you know, to advise clients on what their rights and responsibilities were working with um, the brands to try and reach resolution of those. And then, like I said, a lot of them were related to management contracts, maybe vendor contracts, linen contracts, cable contracts, things like that. Um, just making sure that, you know, when a customer in the U.S., if they're driving down the road and they see a Marriott, they assume that Marriott owns that, but that's actually owned by a, an entrepreneur, a, a business owner. And so we need to make sure that those business owners are fully represented in that long-term legal process. Also, when I switched gears and I became an association executive, I was at AHOA, which is the largest hotel owners association in the world. We had 20,000 or half 20,000 members. And so it was a, the education there continued making sure that franchisees and hotel owners understood the terms of their contracts, understood if a dispute arose, what their options were, understood what the different language in there meant, and making sure that they were really picking a brand that was best for them and would meet their needs for the long term. So that education, while not on the legal side, we weren't providing legal representation, was making sure that they had resources, information, and an opportunity to speak through the different aspects of that franchise agreement. 
And in the US, has it always been majority franchise? That example that you gave that Marriott owns the building, I mean, at one point they did. I mean, that was the, I guess, the old model, but I know across a lot of parts of the world, they got rid of all their assets and became asset light. Um, but franchise in particular is definitely more prevalent in the US, isn't it? I'm not sure uh, globally what it looks like as far as ownership goes, but yeah, in the U.S., I think it's estimated that 85% of all hotels are owned by franchisees or by the entrepreneur business owner. Um, Most of the brands have gone asset light. There are still some brands that own some portfolio. It may be a a luxury or a full service box as opposed to maybe something limited service economy, extended stay, but most of them are also divesting of the majority of that portfolio as well. Okay. And then two questions I have that are related to, I guess, female representation, both in the entrepreneur space and in the legal space. So what was it like first as a lawyer? Were you surrounded by a lot of other female lawyers and you you felt quite at home? (laughs) Um, And then the second part of that question is like the entrepreneurs or the owners that you were working with, were they primarily male or female? So in the lawyer space, there are a lot of female lawyers um, in the U.S., not a tremendous number in the trial practice area, Um, although it depends on the different fields. So in some areas, you might have a lot. But at the time, there were not a lot of corporate trial attorneys that were female. That number, I believe, continues to grow. Um, A lot of the small business owners were women, are women. Um, here and whether that is a husband and wife team or a parent child team or or just general business partners. Um, But as I took my career to a different step and started as an association executive, there were very few women that were CEOs, COOs of major hotel industry um, companies here in the US. So it was not common to see, it still is not common to see, unfortunately, a lot of women in the C-suite here. So yeah, in the small business space, you do have female owners or family owners, but then when you start getting into the corporate space, then you don't see the females at the, at the leadership positions for those organizations. Well, I think in the owner space too, you know, there's some tremendous um, leaders doing great work in that space here now where female owners are have a harder time getting financing. They have a harder time closing deals. They have a harder time getting a seat at the table. So even though there are a number of women on the ownership side, it is not nearly as representative um, as what it should be in that space too. I mean, for that those exact reasons, if you don't already have a portfolio, it's harder to get lending, it's harder to get um, investors, it's harder to get certain brands. Um, you know, if you don't already own hotels, it's harder to get certain brands than it is to get others. And so that continues to impact the diversity of ownership here in the US, even in the hotel side. And is that the only reason why, like, because you don't already have an existing portfolio, you can't get, as a woman, you can't get financing, it's not as easy? I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. Some is what you've done with your career. Some, you know, like everything else, some of it is relationships, the relationships you already have versus the one you don't, Um, you know, in this economy or any economy, um, the uh, getting approved for lending is high risk for commercial bankers. And so they're, they're much more inclined to go with clientele they know or that they have a relationship with and branch out. And I mean, these are multi, multi multi-million dollar deals. Mm -hmm. These are not small um, 
uh, loans. And so really, I think that, that that plays a huge role in it, that until you continue to build up that portfolio, it remains very difficult to get your foot in that door. And then uh, tell me about the transition into Aho. Uh, sorry, I'm going to pronounce that incorrectly. Uh, Ahoa. Sorry. Ahoa. Yep. No, no, no. It's Ahoa. You're correct. Ahoa. Um, I've heard it so many times, but saying it out loud somehow <laughs> stumbled. You're good. Um, how was that transition from, I guess, being a full-time lawyer to then becoming an association executive? Yeah, it was really an exciting opportunity for me. Um, I had been meeting with a colleague who was the executive director of a nonprofit and trying to figure out what to do when I um, retired from being a lawyer. And she said, I don't know if you realize this, but a lot, I was a trial lawyer and a lot of the skills that I use every day to run this association or this charity um, are those that I developed as a trial lawyer. And so I started thinking about nonprofit and trade associations and I started looking for opportunities and I saw that AHOA was looking for someone with a specialty in franchise relations. I had spoken at the AHOA convention for many years. I had been a speaker at other educational opportunities they had. And so I reached out and I began speaking with the then CEO and NHR. And, um, you know, my, my background was just such a great fit for what they were looking for, although way um overqualified, they were really looking for something more of an entry level. And based on what they saw in me, they offered me a tremendous opportunity to um, begin that second stage of my career as the vice president for franchise relations. And I loved it. It was an association that I knew very well, that I felt very passionately about um, the American dream and that the opportunities that AHOA had seen. It was about 25 years old, maybe at the time. And I'd been associated with it in one way or another for about 15 years. So I, I did think that I knew it very well. And over the first couple of years, I was really able to demonstrate skills and um, experience that I didn't even know that I had. And so when an opportunity came up, um, I was promoted to our chief operating officer and my kids like to give me a hard time. I actually Googled COO because I didn't know what operations was. Lawyer law firms at the time didn't have COOs. And, um, you know, it was just a, a, a great opportunity of someone taking a risk on me, seeing something in me that I didn't know existed. And that really is um, a testament to somebody being an ally or being a supporter of elevating talent within an organization. And um, I served in that role for many, many years. And at one point when that CEO stepped down, I served as our interim CEO for almost a year while we conducted our search for a permanent CEO. And so for the last um, almost five years of my career, I, I had a um, wonderful COO and CEO title. I retired last year as the executive vice president and chief operating officer. And that experience in the C-suite really opened my eyes to see that there were just not a lot of women in that role. I had the opportunity to serve as CEO at the time that we had our first female board chair in 30 years. And so we had a female board chair and a female CEO, um, which was unheard of in hospitality and really able to accomplish great things that year. Um, and so when I retired, and was uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my time. I knew there'd be something in hospitality, but I wasn't sure exactly what. And as 2021 continued, I realized that 
the industry just really isn't making the progress that it should be. It, the conversations were happening, but you weren't seeing the change. You weren't seeing the announcements coming out when there were openings at the C-suite level. And there's so many incredibly talented, qualified, and interested women and other underrepresented um, candidates that you know wanted those roles. And so I decided to spend some time visiting with um, friends and colleagues that I knew from hospitality that were doing a lot of great work in hospitality. I was invited to join the board of Women in Travel Thrive, which is a great organization doing tremendous work um, to help women in their career aspirations. I've recently joined David Kong, who's the retired CEO of Best Western. He has launched DEI Advisors, trying to empower personal success um, through a series of interviews of industry leaders. And so I'm co-hosting those interviews with him. And then I had an opportunity to form a Women in Leadership Alliance, which is bringing together the top leaders in the industry, leading initiatives to advance women in hospitality to um, share ideas, to be collaborating, and really to be amplifying one another's messaging. So, you know, in this day and age where human resources and financial resources are um, really tapped for everybody, being able not to be inefficient with time, being able to capitalize and amplify one another's messages. We're never going to be on opposite sides of anything, um, but it's been a really exciting way for me to um, continue with something I feel very strongly about. You know, when I was lawyering, I never wanted to be known as a female trial lawyer. I really wanted to be known as just the best trial lawyer that I could be. Um, hospitality is different. You look at the, the industry right now and entry level that is very diverse across mm -hmm. every single um, job or, or opportunity. But as you grow through that triangle, through that pyramid, it becomes less and less diverse the closer you get to the C-suite. And when you look around, um, you know, there have been a few important announcements of late, but when you look around, it really just is not representative of the industry personnel as a whole, and it's certainly not representative of the population as a whole. And so anything I can do to lend my voice, to lend my time, um, you know, it was a, an unbelievable um, privilege to be able to serve at that level. And I want others to be able to achieve that same um, goal if that's what they're interested in. Yeah, I think there's so much in there. And well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for taking the initiative and, and working on this and setting up um, this alliance. It's it's great to be introduced. And honestly, any one of us that can do anything to drive some change and drive some initiative is it's it's going to be rewarded. I mean, they're just so many reports that I've read over over the years, and I'm like, but where is the action? Like, where is the change? I'm not seeing that actually happening. Yes, I've done all, got all this research to say there are these problems, and but who's holding them accountable as well, right? There there isn't any. Um, any accountability that I've seen at this point. Um, and then well, and Noreen, what you're doing as well is amplifying that message and is putting the, the wonderful stories of other industry leaders out there so that people can see that there is tremendous talent there. There absolutely. are people that want to pursue those opportunities. And that messaging is really, really important. Um, you know, you hear it all the time, but if if I can see it, I can be it. If my daughters can see you know, your show and see people who have achieved a level of success that they're interested in, they're going to be more likely to believe that they can as well. 
completely agree. And I think that was something that was definitely missing for me when I first started out. Like I never even thought about being a GM of a hotel because you know what? I didn't see any women yeah. that were GMs. Not that I'm saying that's what I want to do today, <laughs> but I never even thought. But of you it know that a, you could be. Yeah, uh, yeah. It just never occurred to me as, as a career option. And I mean, subsequently now, thanks to what I'm doing now, I've been able to come across some incredible uh, women GM, but even then there are definitely limitations. And I think there still needs to be a lot of more work done to make it more um, as an attractive profession, whether it's things like job sharing or having a conversation that my family is going to come first or, you know, deciding that you're not going to give up your life for, for the, for the hotel. Um, it's changing some of those perceptions of what, what it's like to be a 24 hour business, but, you know, finding a way to have a more integrated um, lifestyle as well. Well, I think also that um, traditionally, uh, maybe not as much in the GM space, but in the corporate executive space, they look companies look to hire through a certain path. Mm. And my path might be different. Your path might be different. Another woman's path might be different. And so really educating and opening the minds of decision makers to say, you can look for maybe a more traditional, untraditional path, and somebody could be exceptional. You can always backfill. I mean, every great CEO will say that they surround themselves with the smartest people they can. So not every person has to have every box checked to be successful in that role. You can always find a great person to, to support or supplement maybe what a less traditional candidate might have. And I think that's part of the challenge we're having now is looking to corporate boards, looking to corporate CEOs, looking to, um, industry recruiters to say, let's not keep going back to the same well all the time. Let's be looking at others who will be equally or more successful, just may have a different path to that leadership level. So for someone who's looking to get into that senior, senior um, leadership level or the C-suite or trying to get, you know, trying to find a non-traditional path, what are some of the skills that people are looking for that potentially someone should be working on? I mean, of course, not everyone can have everything, as we just said, but what are some of the key things that someone needs to be mindful of? I think that, um, you know, when I was looking to, to hire or be a part of a hiring process, you want someone who has tackled new challenges, who doesn't get too comfortable. Um, I like looking to people who have a, um, a length of stay somewhere, I call them jumpers. I don't want somebody who switches jobs every year because I want to bring someone on and I want them to really develop and grow um, in that capacity. I don't want to hear you tell me that something is not your job. I think that um, that's how we gain experience in all of, you know, really roll up your sleeves and wants to be a part of the team. Um, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have missteps along the way, but acknowledging them and looking um, how to learn from them, I think is really important. Not one of us probably goes through any day that we don't make a mistake of some sort, um, but really being a team player, um, looking to have um, you know, goals or objectives. I, I'm a great big believer in sliding doors um, and that you have to be open to new opportunity because that split second can make all the difference in your path. I think if you say, well, in three years, I want to be this. In five years, I want to be this. In eight years, I want to be this. You're going to miss out on huge opportunities um, and taking a risk. I mean, I consider myself very risk averse, but when I think about the greatest 
pleasures that I have had, it is from the biggest risks that I've taken. And so every risk isn't going to pan out, but being willing to take risks and put yourself out of your comfort zone, I think continuing to learn is really important. However you do that, whether it's networking, whether it's webinars and conferences, whether it's, um, you know, mentorship programs and other things, I think always wanting to continue to learn and develop along the way. But you also have to advocate for yourself. I think that that is something that um, I was not successful with. I don't think I tried it. I don't think that um, I recognized how important it was, but saying out loud what you want. If you want to be speaking at conferences, tell people who can help you achieve that. If you want to be um, trying different roles or considered for different roles, don't assume that somebody knows that that's what you want. If you want to step up and offer to help maybe in areas that aren't yours, but you, you really have to advocate for yourself and you have to um, put the time and work into developing the skills and the relationship that you're going to need to, to be considered for those opportunities. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. One, that I agree that you have to be your own advocate, but two, that was probably something that I found really hard uh, for myself as well. And I, I know there's no research behind this at all. I'm totally generalizing, but I do think women tend to not advocate um, for themselves more than, more than men do. You know, I heard something the other day too, that women also don't tend to take credit for what they have contributed to. And so when you are looking at a very successful project, a woman will tend to say like, oh, well, the team did a great job. And that way people maybe don't know how important your leadership or your role in that project was. And that, you know, they're coaching now to say, it's okay to say under my leadership, that team really did a great job to really say, you know, I, I think that we like to give credit to everybody else. We like to um, downplay maybe um, the value that we have added to things. And I think that's doing a disservice to ourselves because we don't see that from a lot of our colleagues, a lot of our counterparts. And if you're looking around and you see someone, well, look at all this person did because they, they share, they announce it all the time. You may not recognize the value that someone else has provided because they're less willing or haven't taken advantage of the opportunity to do that. No, completely agree. And <laughs> as you were saying that, I was like, oh my God, the number of times I've said that, like, thanks, the team did a great job. I, that's why it's really fresh in my mind. Cause when I heard it, I said the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. Probably a hundred percent of the time. Team is important. Don't get me wrong. The team is incredibly valuable. And, and, and the, the greatest things I've ever been a part of have been because a team rolled up their sleeves and worked together to accomplish something. But it doesn't mean that we also can't um, be really proud of and take credit for the role that we've played in it. Completely agree. I mean, just adding that bit that under my leadership, the yeah. team did well. It's it's three words <laughs> and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I, I mean, I've I done it, it in practice yet, so I'm not going to say that I would be good at doing it, but I'm hearing that it's a really good strategy. Well, I'll have to put it into practice at some point. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like to me, just to kind of come to grips to say the word I am a leader took me so long, it took me a really, really long time. I just didn't think I had what it took to be one or I just didn't have the right qualifications. Like I thought it was some kind of mystical, magical, unachievable um, goalpost. But 
it, it wasn't. I mean, it was just, it was always there. It was just me recognizing and accepting for myself that I am a leader and I have the right qualities to be one. Well, I love that you have figured that out. I, I struggle with that as well. Um, even you asking me to be on something um, about inspiring women in hospitality, I'm like, I think you got the wrong person. And um, because it's hard, it isn't, it's hard. I don't think it's innate to us to say, um, you know, I, I have potentially inspired others, or I have something to share that others might be interested in hearing. Um, I am trying to learn that and maybe at a, a much later stage than you are. So I like to hear you say that you are learning that. I think that's actually really important to be able to say I am a leader and, um, yeah. That's nice. And I hope, you know, we're all going through our own journeys and our own paths, but by hearing one another's stories, we can become each other's cheerleaders and be there to support one another and say the things that we're afraid to say ourselves and give ourselves that support when, when it's needed. Absolutely. No, I could not agree more. And of course, with what you're doing with the Alliance, you know, that's exactly the objective. You know, we're all playing different roles. We're all tackling um, gender diversity or gender balance from different angles. And it's us all working together that will make it even more stronger and powerful in the long run. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to bring us on to our final question. Um, speaking of inspiration and who inspires you? Oh my goodness. Um, I am inspired by a lot of people and a lot of character traits in people. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I am most inspired by my daughters, our daughters. Um, I have a 21-year-old and a 16-year-old, and every day I learn something new about myself. I learn about parenting. I learn about the world um, through their eyes, through my own eyes, and I want to be the best mom I can be for them. I'm incredibly proud of the role that I played um, at AHOA and now in my retirement where they can see that it is um, more than okay to pursue a career, to be a mom, to, I traveled a lot, I missed a lot, but they also know how much I love and how much I give to them through this path. And so I think I, in where I sit today, I, I definitely feel most inspired by them. Um, I pull from a lot of other people that I, um, I, I'm just enamored with all the time. Um, you know, I, I learn different skills from people. I learn different phrases. I learn different things. But at the end of the day, um, I want them to look to me and see that the sky is the limit for them. Um, that to live um, a healthy life, to live a life where you make mistakes and you learn from them, is is important to me and. I hope that we inspire each other in some way that way. I could definitely see that happening. Um, I'm sure I know that you inspire them. And as you inspire them, I can see that they can be your inspiration as well. Absolutely. Kids these days are, are navigating a com completely different world than, you know, we, you and I did at, at 16 and 21 and to see optimism and their gigantic selfless hearts and their caring and empathy and drive and and other things I mean it's just it's amazing to watch and I can't wait to see what they do next and long may it last absolutely absolutely well Rachel thank you so much for sharing your story with us today 
Noreen, I could not be more delighted that you asked me to, and thank you for all you're doing to elevate and support women in hospitality around the world. It's incredibly important, and it's um, very selfless of you to be doing in addition to your day job, um, but we are all grateful for the work that you are doing as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a nice afternoon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.